because these frameworks are coming out so fast, the ability to spend time to become really good at this is sort of lacking. We want the developer who is at the forefront of this to go down that journey and make it more secure. A lot of the aspect of security that we struggle with in the development community is that it's all sticks and no carrots. Anything you write should be thought of that. You should expect that there are bad people out there that would want to expose things. If you have a security designated role and make that part of that design before any code gets written, that has a great impact. Hi, I'm Guy Pojarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybeat, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Secure Developer. Thanks for listening in. Today we have Sabine Thomas with us. I'll let him introduce himself in a moment, but he has a lot of experience building and leading engineering teams in security companies as well as companies that you know don't focus on security but actually do security. So has a lot of sort of knowledge for us that I'm eager to tap into uh, and have you listen to as well. Sabine, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, if I can ask you to just introduce yourself a little bit, you know, what's your history? Maybe how you got into security? Yeah, sure. It's uh, I think I'm more of a varied. A sort of path in the security space. I would say this is one of the more recent explorations for me. My my past has been uh, over fifteen years working in software, doing everything from enterprise HR systems, HCM systems, financial institutions, and then more so e-commerce, search, advertising, and then now developer tools, and then with the with the very big security focus. So uh, it's been a great journey. I think this is the most interesting of all of them. Oh, cool. Yeah, definitely not a small feat to get sort of developer tools and security. And I guess you work at Codiscope today. Do you want to just sort of yeah, sure. talk a little bit on what Codiscope does? Absolutely. So my role is uh, the VP of Engineering at Codiscope. Uh, Codiscope has been more than a year and a half into its inception. We are based in Boston. Primarily, we are a developer tool company. We do a number of things. One of the number of things that we do is specifically security tools uh, aimed at developers. We've had almost six to seven years of experience in terms of the people that we have in our company that have been working on developer solutions for other stacks, Java, .NET, PHP, and have got a good amount of experience in that, that type of realm, that type of field. We also have a specific division of our company that's focused on e-learning content and educational materials specifically aimed at security-themed courses, helping developers get better, improve their security knowledge. And now, over the last year, we've been refocusing our efforts now specifically on JavaScript and a different model at, at understanding code and making developers code securely. Okay, cool. Yeah, and actually, I have a whole bunch of questions that come yes, out of that yes, uh, sure. question. So, I guess first of all, you know, you mentioned developer tools and the focus on developer. Clearly, we need security knowledge, right? There's a yep. lot of problems out there. Why developers? Like, why developer tools versus just, I guess, the typical infosec and security tools? Yeah, and that that sort of has more to do with the genesis of Codiscope, I would say. Um, so, a little bit of background there. Uh, Codiscope, as a company, we were spun out of a company called Sigital, which has close to 20 years of experience in application security consulting. They've been doing this for a long time and they have a great enterprise footprint. And the reason for the spin-off was that 
as a product, we would have that much more impact if we were able to touch the developer. Traditionally, security, especially in enterprise companies and, and regulated industries, have sort of been mandated from the top-down management or a security team or the, the CISO and these companies would certainly understand the need for it. The, there's an obvious risk with doing insecure code and would turn that around and mandate that to the development team to, to use the tooling, the, the, the processes, and so on. And we felt there was a different approach to that where we could go directly to the developers, have that experience be very native to their development environment, and really make some impact there to the point that they, they feel that that's part of their tool set. So the aim is still the same. We still want secure code. We want the developer who is at the forefront of this to go down that journey and make it more secure. And that's what we feel gets the most stickiness in our approach to it. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think as the pace of development grows yes. and just the impact of an individual developer in just the throughput, right? How much can a single developer achieve today in terms of new functionality just becomes staggering, right? You can do a ton of things, which is awesome. Uh, it also implies that really anybody, I think, outside of development is just not able to keep up, right? right. Let alone an understaffed or just, you know, shortage of talent security team. So to an extent, we really have no choice but to get developers involved. So it becomes, you know, not really a question about whether developers should embrace security and you know sort of start acting on yep. you know and using you know, applying some security best practices but rather you know how do we make that happen clearly it's a necessity if we have you know sort of any chance of uh, of, of winning kind of the yes. or you know of like you know achieving some form of security um, so a lot of it is is just about how do you get developers engaged so I find I really like and you know like we do the same at snake right we're Focused on saying, you know, this is developer tools that yeah. do security, and I feel like just by that statement, yeah. there's an indication of focus, which, which you know, hopefully, I'm seeing a little bit more of, and hopefully, kind of keeps growing in in the space. Yeah, I mean, just to match the need as well. I mean, the need for developers is at an all time high. Everything everybody does is always has a software component to it. That's one piece of it. The other piece is that developers have a five-second attention span, so it's whatever framework they're working <laughs> in. The next one is obviously cooler and better. And so with that kind of churn across frameworks and that kind of repetition, I think developers are just prone to doing things incorrectly. Not because they're malevolent from the start or that's they, they have intent that way. It's just the pace and keeping up with these things means that you just can't be an expert at everything. So compare yourself to the Java developer who's been working on it for 20 years, has basically covered every aspect of, of Java, the, the tool set, and then the developer who's been working on you know, uh, Node.js, Swift, Go, uh, you know, take your pick in the next two years. So it's, it's may not know where the pitfalls are, right? Yes, you may not sort of yes. have that experience. So I think just with the amount of time that you have to spend on this, you, you are not able to to spend the time to really understand it, to get to know what you're coding and make that secure. So, yeah. so tooling is even more important. So when you say uh, it's developer tools, like practically speaking, right? you've sort of seen in Sigital and all that building, yeah. pretty much the same, maybe you know, security, especially for the education tools, right? Mm. It might even be sort of the same tools, but here at Codescope you're trying to make this developer tools that do security. Like, how do you see that manifest in the product? I mean, what makes the product more Compelling a security product more compelling to a developer. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that is uh, tied into what we've recently launched a few months ago, a product called Jax, uh, jax.codescope.com. Definitely try it out. The way we approached this product was was very different from how we did our past products. The understanding being that 
we wanted to approach developers first, and again, not something that was mandated onto developers. So in that model, we we really looked at how GitHub, a lot of other tools that have had a good amount of developer traction, New Relic, where these tools were just simple enough for the developers to understand where it fit in their ecosystem, that the model was was pretty solid. Uh, so we took a look at that. We understood where we wanted to fit in. We we also understood as part of our mission to have developers code securely, that the educational aspect of that was very important. I think developers certainly want to know when they're doing themselves a good job, when they've been able to work with the framework correctly, they've been able to do the right things in their code. What is sort of missing in the tool sets that's there right now is an inability to, to track that. There's no ability to say that, hey, you've actually become you know, a pro programmer in Scala, and and you've done package incorporation correctly. So that type of of analysis or that type of tracking is missing, and so and so we felt that combining the need to have a secure tooling experience along with the educational experience would establish that kind of environment that a developer would want to. So we approached that. That was very much the part of our product design from the very start. We, we took a brand new, fresh new look at it at Jax. We, we spent a good amount of time understanding the user experience, what, what a developer would, would really want, what would accelerate them, how would we accelerate that, that dev cycle instead of being like a deterrent or, or, or a new body of work. Yeah, not being is, a gate, right? Like right. Not a... Yeah, which is, which is, I would say, some, sometimes the case with most security tools. You, you, they are findings, and you have to now spend time to work through them. We want it to be an accelerant, and so you know we're still tinkering with it. We, there are things that we're, we we measure everything about Jax. We we track and try to understand uh, is the developer faster now than he was bef- he or she was before that product. Yeah, um, I had this really good chat with uh, Camille Fournier, who's a CTO in New York. Yeah, uh, and she she had this sort of quote that said that she feels that security in the case of security tools, you pay to get more work. Yeah, uh, you know, you just sort of pay out and it's it's sort of not what you want right? right like if you're paying you yes you want to sort of achieve better security maybe you are but you want them to make it easier not harder yeah. you know not sort of send you down sort of that path and, and that's it's in in just looking at that as well it's a tricky thing to do i mean to to find out if a developer has really done this correctly is is takes a good amount of analysis it takes a good amount of understanding of the behavior and you know, we're still finessing with that. I don't think there's necessarily the right way to do it. There's certain nomenclature we try to stay away from in terms of all our products, um, which is something that says that you fixed something in response to vulnerability that that was triggered. So unless we're absolutely sure, you know, we we don't want to say that a fix has happened. What we can tell is these packages look like you've done this correctly. This code you've written looks like you've done this correctly. Um, and so that's the path we're going down. We we. Don't want to be too forward in saying that you've done this correctly without making sure that that's absolutely right. And I, I'm sure you know in the early version of the product, these are things that we're still figuring out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll iterate on that, but 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 that is certainly the mindset, the goal of where we want the product to be. You know, when it's when it's at the point it's mature. Yeah, I think the uh, when you talk about developer tools as well, first of all, there's the five second you know attention yeah. span aspect, which is like pretty much how much you get when you build a developer tool. True. To sort of demonstrate value and to show ease of use. So you know, historically, well, not historically, at present, even the vast, vast majority of security tools today, you know, you need loads more time than that yeah. just to be able to get them up and running, let alone starting to operate them on yes. your system. So you have to you have to have quick onboarding, and in general, just sort of an understanding that even the exact same 
core technology, you know, be it security static analysis or be it really any other or authentication or you know whatever sort of vulnerabilities and dependencies, any of these components, the same core technology might be at play, but the surrounding of the product and how easy it is to use and how easy it is to get going is quite critical. I feel like there's a, an interesting conversation as well to be had around education and tooling and sort of this uh, virtual cycle between them, right? Mm. How much education do you need to do upfront versus how much can tooling do for you and you know almost sort of reduce the need for you to know and you know how can the two work in tandem to basically you know help on one hand reduce some of the effort from you, you know, just sort of do some of the stuff for you and, and ensure the tools are secure and at the same time surface things to you. In line with the work that you're doing. So instead yeah. of you going off, for instance, to do like a three day course and learn about secure coding, how can you have some of that education around making mistakes be a natural part of, you know, as you code, you identify these things and, you know, you just repeat that enough that you know that you, yeah. that, you know, you know to ahead of time not make that mistake, you know, allowing you to basically take it up to the next level. I think. You know, an aspect of that is with automation tools mm. um, and with static analysis and such. But some of it, I think you do is I don't know if it's Securisys, right? Or like you have the the inline in the IDE types of of security education. Do you see that paying dividends? Like, do you see people over time making fewer of the same mistakes? Yeah, certainly. With with Securisys, which is one of our products in our portfolio. The intent is very much that be as native to the developer experience, and the way they do that is by being an IDE plugin. Uh, right now, they have uh, IntelliJ, Visual Studio, uh, Eclipse, some of the major browsers. And as the developer is in that, as you're coding, you know those are right opportunities where we can inject the right type of education to do that correctly, especially in response to something that's been done. I think teaching when when somebody's been able to see for themselves that they've made that mistake. Or that something that was incorrect, I think that is the right point at which it becomes sticky. It is a little trivial sometimes in the way that you people write code or developers write code, where you can almost attribute it to like a syntax type approach. Um, mm-hmm. There are more complicated vulnerabilities or inaccuracies that can happen that may not work so well in that type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where we're finding that even with languages, we're seeing that manifest. So if I'm if I'm talking about a Java code base, I can be assured all of that is typically in just one repo. In, in the analysis that Securisys does, we can find out from the way you've initialized your your application routes or web routes to the way you've initialized your database, all of that is in a single repo, and we can sort of figure that out. In more modern frameworks, more dynamic, I would say even with JavaScript, that's split across 25 mm-hmm. different repos. And making that connection can be a little complicated. And so right. to get that full holistic understanding of the code you're writing, the corrections that we offer have to be in line with that. So I would say there's certainly still a need to have developers be educated at the point that Something we've noticed is amiss, and as your coding is the right time to do it. But I'd be remiss if we don't do that holistic understanding. And so that's where a tool like JAX is a little different in that you invoke it uh, primarily on your cloud based repos. And I think we're still figuring out what the right model is. I think it's a mix of both. It's a little challenging for newer frameworks because an ID is almost a non existent concept, I would think, mm. for a Node.js developer, especially somebody who's, who's 
been uh, yeah. if they've started with Node.js as their first programming language, I, I would say that an IDE is probably the last of their uh, their concerns. It's usually text edit or something like that. So, yeah, they're going to be in Atom or in Sublime or in, in Sublime, uh, some right? Form. Yeah. So in that scenario, for a developer who's been using something like this. They don't really expect a lot of the IDE. They don't expect a lot of feedback out of the IDE, and so where they're expecting feedback and possibly educational material is a little later on in that build chain, and so that's a little more native to them. Whereas if I talk to the Java developer, they want everything to happen in the IDE: the ability to debug, the ability to to run debug builds, and and uh, do stack traces. So. There's a different nature of developer. We want to be the answer to all, both of them. Um, yeah. So this is where we'd like to love, work with the community to see if there are other things beyond the build chain, beyond the ID, where we can inject that. Yeah, and I think like developer is not one thing. You know, different developers clearly. You know, for starters, just people and people yeah. work differently. But also the norms of you know or the best practices for how do you develop software. It may be then in the world of JavaScript, it will be typically slightly more continuous processes. There will be a higher percentage of people that have some sort of CI, yeah. you know, test automation, yeah. continuous deployment processes. Maybe as compared to maybe the average in Java. But you're right that at the same time, the the development environments themselves, the debugging tools. Those are, you know, anywhere from, you know, less mature to non-existent, and and building them there. I also like you mentioned the this notion that that sometimes you can't identify an issue in in a smaller context. Oftentimes, the lack of existence of a security control, like the fact, for instance, that you you know did not validate input or that you did not encrypt some piece of data, that by itself is not a security flaw right there and then, right? Like that's not a vulnerability. But if you did not have that security control throughout the flow of an action, suddenly your system becomes vulnerable, right? And yeah. and there's some learnings there. Yeah, it, it, it was specific to instruction though, there are many mechanisms that have been valuable to the developer. There's certainly, you know, the old school method of development where you have a three day instructional seminar that's on site that all your enterprise developers have now <laughs> are, are sort of required to take. There's uh, e-learning courseware that they can take on their own time and sort of measure their progress that way. I think the challenge with any of an instructional mechanism is that. Without the appropriate tracking and the appropriate metrics, it's very hard for a developer to know what use they've gotten out of it. And so, this is where we were looking to answer that with Jax, which is because of the way you've coded uh, and because of the way you've interacted with our, with our courseware, we have an understanding to say that you may have a predisposition to coding these insecure uh, insecurities or these vulnerabilities in your new project, and we want to avoid that. So, mm-hmm. so, so that's certainly the goal. I, I like the notion of it's almost like continuous education, right? Yes, as, as you do a part of that, right? It's Absolutely. not security is a moving moving target, but also in general, you know the. Ability to absorb information, you know, in one time, and then remember if you might not have a chance to apply it. Yeah. Uh, you know, remembering that, you know, if a few months later you come across that is hard. But if it's constantly there, constantly pointing decisions and questions for you, you can evolve it. And so, just to close that out as well, one of the things that we've done in, in talking to our customers that have been using our products for a long time, we we find that. Uh, the thing we're always asking is w- w- what level of security training is is happening currently, and then also in our developer outreach when we're talking to devs or, or new graduates, the question we ask is w- what kind of security training have you received in college? And the answer to all of them has been none. We've actually gotten responses from from customers asking if we could create uh, security training for college level academia type um, <laughs> uh, usage scenarios. And so the fact is, you know, we, we are almost 
40 years, I would say 15 years into mainstream software education and the fact that we still don't have that speaks yeah. volumes. Yeah. So what's happening is a lot of people are learning this on the job. They're learning it as a result of an incident that has happened. And at that point, it's almost, I would say, fatal uh, to have to learn it from that type of scenario. So there should be a better way to do it. Yeah, precisely. You should be able to sort of preempt them. Yeah. So I guess you know, maybe switching to security education itself, sure. you, yeah. know, you see a lot of, um, you, know, you have these tools, you educate developers about security solutions, you see a lot of actual mistakes or a lot of interest in specific ones. Can you share some insight into you know some of the common or the most common mistakes you see or uh, conversations you have? Yeah, um, it, it sort of varies by the nature of the developer. Um, what we find among our clients is that they will engage us um, for a certain type of curriculum, and the curriculum could be varied depending on the on the client. You know, a client would want. Sort of introductory security training, sort of defensive programming in Java. How do you prevent uh, buffer overflow vulnerabilities in C plus plus? Like basic stuff that is also a good reminder. It sort of checks off certain boxes in the security team to make sure the developers are doing this year after year. Uh, remind them about it. But our focus is is to make that material fresh and relevant, uh, and to make that contextual to what you're coding in. Mm-hmm. So, so we find. From our experience in in e-learning and and the type of questions we're getting from our clients, the type of uh, use cases that we want, that we feel that e-learning still has a good amount to go to make it that much more relevant, and that's what we're taking into to heart with our product development with Jax. Uh, so the other question you had was, yeah, just like this is very useful on on the types of security education that people actually you know I guess explicitly ask for. Yes. Do you like on the flip side of that? If you look at mistakes, right through Jax or through you know the the ID assists, yeah. which mistakes do you see are most common? Like you know, what do people not do or incorrectly do that exposes them to security problems? Yeah, we, one of the things that we always find, especially with Node.js repos, is just whether they're using Mongoose or not using Mongoose, or, uh, the, the the native Mongo driver is basic SQL injection. SQL injection in MySQL or SQL injection in in MongoDB still happens. And it's not so much, I would say, a, a developer vulnerability that we find. It's just an inaccurate use of the product, I would mm-hmm. say. And this is again part of what I was saying earlier. Because these frameworks are coming out and so fast, the ability the, the ability to spend time to to become really good at this is, is sort of lacking. And sometimes it's also a result of documentation just missing. Yeah, I think but if you use the find operator or if you use the where operator in MongoDB and you don't filter your input, that's a big scenario at that point. But I think frameworks are getting a little better. So if we're looking at Node.js, between the people that use Express and HappyJS is a big difference. There's people who are using HappyJS at the very outset, uh, developers, those, those repos are pretty good to start with because validation is a big part of HappyJS. So I think that sort of mindset is, is really good. Uh, you know, we, we, we sort of encourage developers to go that way. Redos is also a big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Regex uh, denial of service that always happens. Um, people just <laughs> yeah. don't know what to do with it. And I'm surprised the number of developers that come out of, you know, really strong programs. A lot of these schools and still say Regex is a little complicated for me. <laughs> so yeah. it's um, they need help. I think just to kind of give a little bit of info for those who uh, who don't know it, the you know, yeah. regular expression denial of service. These Redos vulnerabilities are the case where. Executing a regular expression takes a, a very long amount of time. Right? Yeah. Regular expression, with all its back references and kind of logics that it needs to match, can take you know a very long amount of time to run, even on a small string. Definitely a non-linear yeah. amount of time as compared to the length of the string. So it's fairly easy 
to yeah. if you don't restrict the length of a of an incoming string, which is something you often omit to to get to the point where that thread spins quite a bit. And especially yeah. if you're in JavaScript where it's single threaded or not single threaded, but it scales by events, not by threads. Yeah. You can really fairly easily take down uh, a system, a machine, and kind of introduce denial of service. Another thing that we also see is incorrect use of crypto libraries. I'm surprised by the amount mm. of code where people use math.random to seed. You know, a key algorithm or something like that is just just the wrong thing to do. Yeah. But they haven't been taught anything else, and and unless it unless they get the type of education that should preempt them from using math.random, they will continue to use it. So right. that's one of the popular things that we see as well. Yeah, and I think education is an aspect, and and tooling or better defaults is is an aspect yes. of as well, right? In the case of the mongoose usage, I feel like the the big platforms. Angular, React, they come in and they put a lot of emphasis on security. And you know, while imperfect, they mm. still have very secure defaults. Right, this notion of secure defaults of taking on responsibility of not shaking off to say this is not my responsibility uh, just makes many of these components like make it harder for you to make a security mistake. Many of these packages just don't do that. Right, sometimes they're just small. They might not have the capacity in terms yeah. of the amount of investment that's been put into them, might not have the security knowledge. Sometimes the authors of them perceive them because they're not a platform but rather a component. Somebody says, Yeah, of course I don't, you know, filter my SQL injection in so the relevant functions in Mongoose. It's not meant to be used that way. But that piece of information about how it should and should not be used. Just goes away, and really, I would hope that over time we evolve into some model that is a little bit more defense in depth oriented. Yeah. Right to, to an extent, I find the npm package or the Maven package, or in general these open source packages, and as, as you use more and more libraries and you chain them together, because these libraries are developed out of context with each other, right? They're just developed independently. There's no guarantee that the use of those packages is going to be done correctly from from a security perspective. The only way to kind of help assure some of that security is to build it in. Is to actually have each of these components have defense in depth, have every one of these components enforce its own security restrictions, even if it means that you've gone through seven of the same checks. Yeah, you eventually have a shot at at not letting an attack through. And I, and I have to think, what is in the mindset of a developer? I, as a developer, if I'm coding something up, if I'm if I'm doing a blog app or I'm doing like a, a very simple website, like I can understand the mindset there to say that this is not something that's going to be used by a lot of people. Why would I need security? And I know the way that I would think about something like this, you know, 15 years ago has changed a lot from when I'm doing that now. So. Anything you write should be thought of that. You should expect that there are bad people out there that would want to expose things, or maybe an incorrect usage of, of your application completely, not because it was a nefarious intent, but because it was just there. So, I think that mindset is changing. That's a good thing for people to for developers to understand that that anything you write, anything you put out there, anything you deploy, no matter what, what it is, if it's from a simple nonprofit charity website to running uh, payment transactions. That the the vectors are still pretty much the same. The threat model is still pretty much the same. So I would say that that is an important thing to to keep in mind for for fresh young developers. I would say. Yeah, and I think the other aspect of security would be transparency. It's about the fact right. that you should be declarative about what security aspects you are and are not taking on. Mm. This ties back both to the earlier conversation we had around how 
there are some security threats you can't address in a repository, and then you know we now continue this to sort of go. I don't know if it's a different granularity or not, but you know, not about a repository, but rather about a package. You know, each of these components, you know, it makes sense. Sometimes your package might be, you know, fifty lines of code, and yeah. you know, making it enforce security restrictions would reduce its functionality as well as make it, you know, maybe you know, two hundred lines of code, yeah. and that starts being a little bit uh, cumbersome. But maybe the right way to do it would be to make these packages declare whether or not they enforce security. And and just by that sheer statement, you can say, well, can I now ask a question to say, in this flow, yeah. am I calling a package that does or does not do security controls? Or, you know, security control is probably also not a black and white flag, but right. just to be declarative about what security constraints you are proposing or you are taking on, and which security constraints you are not. Yeah. So to that extent, there may be a bit of a struggle. I know organizations like OWASP try to establish across all applications. These are the common attacks, or these are the common vectors of vulnerabilities, and I think that's good to understand because we're still seeing that happen. The OWASP top ten from five years or eight years back is still relevant to, to today, even though it's a different environment for applications. Uh, I wonder though if in setting up like this common language, common uh, declarative presence about your package, that we spend a lot of time in standardizing something that. We forget about different use cases for each. Like that's something that I just have to think through. I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily think it's an easy problem to solve, but I, I, I think it's 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 relevant. I, I just don't know the path to get to the final. Right. Yeah. And it's about, I guess when you talk about declaring something, then you want to declare it in a non-custom fashion. Yes. So if I want to say, you know, I do not allow. Invalid inputs through. I, yep. You know, I have input validation. I might have bugs, like maybe I have vulnerabilities there. But at least I have made the attempt to sanitize input, and you, you know, use some form of standards to indicate I see, yeah. that that you did. Then you know, maybe later on, you, you know, a tool like Jax could go on and say, well, you know, you have this sort of chain of actions here that you've performed, none of which claims to be doing input sanitization. Right. Um, because you could do, I mean, Jax has the sophistication, I guess, to try and deduce that itself yeah. through sort of the language assessment. But it'll be nice to sort of layer in some declaration. And over time, it also allows us to, you know, a lot of the aspect of security that we struggle with a little bit in the development community is that it's all sticks and no carrots. There's no, yes. there's no way to sort of celebrate the success. If you could somehow stamp your package to say, you know, this one has good security controls, clearly you need to implement them, but assuming people don't abuse those flags, you know, it's nice to say, well, you know, a good quality package, you know, has these like seven security things that it's doing and you you would aspire as a developer to have all of those flags. Yeah. And if you did so, then you'd have some, you know, thumbs up on your repo and on your package. And people can, you know, Recommend or sort of uh, applaud you for it, right? For you know, it, yeah. You could get a little bit of that value. Yeah, it's. It's. I think the rating business is 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 good. It'll certainly <laughs> help. It'll certainly help when you relate that to another package because those those are where those metrics really uh, make the most sense. If if I weren't to choose this type of um, markdown parser or another one, if I look at those ratings now that my decision process is a lot more clear, I think that really certainly helps. What's going to be challenging is defining the first few packages. I get it. Yeah. So, but you know, I, I certainly think this is where the community can really help. Like, if that's if that is going to be a value, if the community certainly feels that, I mean, we we should we should make that happen by all means. We should we should all get together to figure out a common protocol, so the community can understand what they should be using, and then we in 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 the business that we're doing can make that work. I think that's certainly a value. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I think we need to uh, keep shouting that from the rooftops, right? And keep getting people to engage and care about security, but try to find these sort of actionable next steps that yeah. that you could consider doing. It's an interesting concept as well, crowdsourcing security, because <laughs> if that was easy to, to have been done, we, we wouldn't need to exist. And <laughs> so in the challenge that we have, um, security has always been an afterthought. And uh, firms like what we do, uh, and firms like us in, in what we do, it's sort of our responsibility to take that on, like you said, shouting it from the rooftop, yeah. uh, be that leader. So at the point that the community understands it, now it becomes a more active engagement. But yeah. but it's a struggle. <laughs> it is, always is, never going to end, but hopefully improves. Yes, yeah. certainly. So I think we're about out of time. Wow. Uh, before we sort of part off, I'd like to ask you maybe one tidbit of a question. Say, sure. if you had, you know, just from your experience and what you're seeing, uh, if you're talking to a development team and you have one security aspect or you know one thing that you think they should apply uh, to make their system more secure, what's your what's your favorite? You know, what's your uh, the current thing that you're championing the most? There's a lot of answers I can give. That the official answer would be to use Jax.codescope.com. It's, <laughs> it's a great tool that would help you um, do that. But I and this is something that I've sort of indoctrinated among the teams at, at Codescope, which is. Uh, building security in, and that touches different p- parts of your development process. One that I've seen had the most impact on is at the design step. If you have a security designated role or somebody who who can take that on and champion that and make that part of that design before any code gets written, that is already part of the mindset. That is something that's sitting there um, when devs are coding. It's always at the back of their mind, but it it sits there. And that has a great impact in the way that I've seen the developers of my team's code. So I would say, as part of your design, you know, make a security review step an explicit part of that, um, and and you will see gains out of that. So yeah, that um, makes that's just sense. coming from personal experience. I mean, there's certainly more answers to that, but but that's something that I have seen that has had more impact than I've than any other thing that I've seen before. Yeah, I fully agree. It'll be sort of a high high impact step to just acknowledge that security is a core component of. Yeah. Of some of that process of your f- flow yep. and of that design, yeah. So thanks a lot, Sabine, for Great, coming. Yeah. You know, for for those who are listening, you definitely should go and check out Jax. It's jax.codescope.com, and it would probably tell you a few things about your JavaScript code that you may not know, and you definitely should. Maybe about how you're using Mongoose, maybe something else. Yeah. So thanks again, Sabine, for coming on board, and good luck. Absolutely, this is a great service you're doing. I think the more we can benefit the community, um, things like this really help. So thanks a lot, guy. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show, or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at the TheSecureDev. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies, given by top experts in the field, 